Well, welcome, ladies. How are you doing tonight? Welcome to Captivated by Courage. Are you feeling courageous? Well, you made it here. <laughs> if you're not feeling courageous yet, by the end of the night, I am sure you will be. Our good friend Stephanie Henderson is going to bring a powerful word, and we are so excited. Um, if you go ahead and stand with us, we're going to worship together. Um, Becca and I are here, and, uh, you know, we come sharing the sister bond, you right. know. I don't know about you, but um, we, are, we are true sisters, and uh, we're all sisters in Christ tonight. We're going to worship our Savior together. And it's great to be home in Colorado Springs. We love living here. Does anyone else enjoy Colorado, especially on days like today, where it's really summer? Don't know about tomorrow, but we won't worry about tomorrow. All right, well, let's worship.
Colorado. Um, when we get to travel, um, it's coming back and it's landing back at 6,000 feet and it's just being able to see for miles. Don't you love that? The wide open space. I love the massive sky that we have here and um, it's a gift, I think, this kind of openness. And I think about in our own lives um, how the Lord wants us to live in this kind of open, wide open space something for our souls, something that's a place of freedom, a place that we can thrive. Um, and in Psalm 18, 19, I just love that it says this, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And I think God delights that we walk in his will, that we experience the life that he created us to live, the fullness and so I just pray that during worship, that, that as we're open, as we just say, Lord, I'm open to you, that he'll lead us into that wide open space for our souls, for our hearts to thrive, for our families to thrive, um, for this city, that we can be a city on a hill, a light in the world. Um, and so just think about how God has brought us into a, a spacious place. And if you don't feel like you're in a spacious place tonight, you feel, you know, burdens of life, things weighing you down. Ask the Lord to lead us there. It says in his word that he will, that he'll lead us to the spacious place. He'll rescue us because he delights in you. And we're going to continue to worship, and I just pray that his presence continues to fill our hearts and fill this room. Lord, we're just here to receive from you. We're here to be open, open hearts. Would you speak to us? Would you bring us into a spacious place where we can be free? where we can walk in your will and all that you have for us. In Jesus' name.
we have a lot of faith-filled women in this room. It's exciting to be in the company of such amazing women of God. Amen. Well, I'm so grateful, you know, singing that song, our God is stronger, our God is greater. I hope that you've come with something that you can declare that over tonight. And I want to tell you just a little snippet story from uh, something I walked through. We're about to play a song for you called By Faith. And uh, whenever I sing Our God, that just releases so much faith in me, doesn't it? Doesn't it do that to you? Um, but I have to think back to when we recorded this next song, By Faith. And I remember we flew to Nashville and I had just been losing my voice for weeks on end. And I was, got in that plane and I thought, God, I'm going to record. I'm going to worship. I'm leading worship. How am I going to do this? And I felt so weak. I felt so um, broken. And I felt like he said, go in faith, go trusting in me that I am your strength and all you need is me. And now more than ever, I had, in that time, I had to walk it out. I had to walk what I believe. And uh, maybe the Lord has brought you through something like that where you really had to take a stand and say, I know I believe this, I'm gonna step out in faith. And as I stood before that recording mic, I knew I had really nothing to give. So I just said, God, let this breath that I have in me be exactly you singing. And it was just amazing because I know that he came through for me in that moment. And maybe there's there's a time that God has, has given you just enough strength and then it ended up being more than enough. And you look back, you see his hand on you in such a powerful way. I believe that weakness rallies our dependence on God. And that's exactly what God's looking for. He's looking for women who depend on him more than they depend on the world, more than they depend on themselves. And so I just want to encourage you with this song. It's called By Faith.
say with us because we're standing, but you know. <laughs> no, Alyssa must be really excited for tonight because she brought her red shoes. These uh, are I know, red. It, I know it's a special night when she actually wears the red shoes, so. <laughs> well, uh, there was a day where Becca and I shared a lot of our wardrobe, but we are married now and we do not share as often. Closets are further away, um, but uh, so I have to tell you a little bit about this next song. It's called Love Walked In. And uh, so we wrote this song a couple years back, and I remember I tried to write a song for about 12 months. I don't really have any writers in the room tonight, but if you know you've been waiting to try to get that inspiration going and nothing's clicking, you know? Um, so I'm a songwriter at heart, and I think that's probably why I ended up playing guitar, because I like to write, and I write songs. And um, so as I was trying to get kind of creative and, and nothing was happening, but I tell you it was in December, the end of the year. And this is a story that just proves God can use anything. So I'm walking through my house and I hear this drip from our faucet. And it's just, it's kind of like random, but it's like drip, drip. And I'm thinking, you know, I hear a melody. I think I hear a rhythm to that. And how many of you know that God can use anything, right? And so from this drip, I just kind of started hearing this song. And so I grabbed my guitar, ran into this room in our house and shut that door and said, okay, I'm going to take on this inspiration, even if it's from a drip of water. And uh, from there, I just spent the next couple hours and this song unfolded so quickly. It was amazing after how many months of trying to write. And then in two hours, I think, okay, Lord, I'm listening. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was amazing as I started to finish writing the song that night and I go into writing the bridge and I wanted to look up some scripture. And I do that a lot of times when I'm writing, just try to feed it with the word, uh, feed that song with inspiration from the Lord. And so I went on to Google to try to, to look for a certain scripture I was thinking of. And right there on the headline was that day was a school shooting in Connecticut. And I thought my heart just sunk and I thought, Lord, this song speaks exactly to what's happening right there. And um, so love walked in. I hope this speaks to you um, wherever God has you, whatever place you're in, um, that he can come and enter in. And when God enters into you, into your house, into your being, it changes everything. Nothing stays the same, whether you're grieving or whether um, you're, you're full. The love of God coming in always overflows, and it's just amazing. So um, here's the song.
more song for you tonight before we have the lovely Stephanie Henderson coming. And uh, yes, everybody, I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> well, this one is called Speechless. I want to ask you this question. What are you speechless about? What makes you speechless? And I have to say that when I look at the mountains, when I, when I see that in my rearview mirror, I see the Lord's handiwork. And I'm constantly amazed, even in my own life, the little things that he does that are so great to me. How many of you know he is in the details of our lives? He is. And we see him at work. So this is speechless. Sub 
Wow, what a beautiful time of worship. I am just blown away, and I just have to say, are you ladies just so grateful to be here tonight, right now, in the presence of Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. I know that a lot of you probably went through a lot to get here, since it's a Friday afternoon and, you know, trying to get here on time, and, you know, I uh, have to tell you, I ran home from work, and I was getting dressed, and I'm rushing, and I'm like, I got to hurry up, and I grab my belt, and my belt right here, see this big, big honking brass thing right here? It flew, and it hit me in the face, <laughs> and it hit me on the chin, and I was like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. It didn't hit me in my mouth. I was going to have to call and say, I'm going to the dentist. I knocked my teeth out and I can't make it. But you know what? Um, it kind of got me thinking as I was rushing around and had something just simple like that happen. And I, I was praying with my daughter in the car. And I'm like, Lord, please let every woman who is supposed to be here tonight get here. Okay. And whatever distraction, whatever belt that might have been flying at you to keep you here. I'm just glad that you're here. And so I just have to say thank you, uh, Becca and Alyssa, for that amazing worship. Thank you so much. The Sunflowers, if you don't know, they are here locally in Colorado Springs, and they talked about growing up in Colorado, but we've had the privilege of seeing them kind of grow up, coming and visiting our church. I think that you guys started when you were in high school here, and so that is just kind of a blessing just to see a new generation of women, young women, rise up and stay strong in Jesus, and so... I just want to say thank you so much for your amazing testimonies that you are standing strong. So they're going to have a table out in the foyer. They have their CDs. They also have a new book that they wrote together. And if you don't know that they are sisters. And so um, when they talk about living together and sharing clothes, I'm like, I don't have a sister. How much fun that would have been to exchange clothes. But, you know, it didn't happen. I had a little stinky brother. And so... Anyway, they wrote this Made to Shine, a girls-only um, devotional. So if you have a, a girl in your life that you know would be blessed, here are some young ladies who have walked it, and now they're giving back to, to raise up more um, young women to come behind them. And that's our job as, as older women. As I get older, I'm like, that's my job, isn't it? Older women raising up younger women. And I have to say, first, um, it's exciting for me to see some young ladies who are now women in the audience when I remember them being little and Abby over there, Darman and Hannah and my daughter Lauren. And I'm just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's what getting together and encouraging each other is all about, that we're passing on and we're teaching the young women in our lives and we're gleaning from the older women in our lives to keep on walking steadfast. And I tell you what, I, if you have never been to a ladies' retreat at Rocky Mountain Calvary, guess what? You just got a little taste of it. And this night is just a little taste. I feel like we were on the mountaintop. When we started tonight, it was like, oh my gosh, Lord, this feels like we're away. This is our little escape tonight from the crazy world. And that's what our church is supposed to be. That's what church is, that God just makes this a, a safe haven and a place for us to just come and worship him. And I just am excited that we get to get away for a Friday evening and see what God has to give to us and to grow us in him tonight. And so as I start off, before I forget, 
there was a lady out in the foyer asking about a particular t-shirt size and we found one and we have it saved for you in the, under the table. So after the event, if you wanna see Stephanie's table, we have that t-shirt for you. Don't wanna forget that. So back to uh, ladies retreat. Okay, ladies, we are gonna have a, a fabulous time for the weekend and it's in September. Registration is now open. Okay, and it is going to be, um, I had my flyer, did it, thank you, I'm glad you guys are paying attention. Okay, if you need more information, here we do have a table in the back so you can sign up. Registration is now open, there is payment uh, schedule available as well, and basically it's going to be uh, Womanly Warrior, and we're going to learn um, from Lisa Rafferty, who will be teaching our retreat this year, who is um, from our church here at Rocky Mountain, and we are excited to have her back home with us, and she's going to be teaching. And so please, if you sign up, tell a friend to sign up. I, here's what, this is my goal. This is what I thought about. I'm like, Lord, if every woman signed up tonight, we would sell the retreat out. And that would be it. And then you all would just be like, hey, you missed the boat. We were there that night and we signed up and we're done. So that's kind of like, I'm like, wouldn't that be cool? I think Linda Rosenhaw would be dying like, you sold the retreat out already? But praise God, whoever's supposed to be there, I hope that you will make time for that. All right. We do also have ladies Bible study that starts up in September. And I want to kind of give you what those studies are, and then we have a little video just to kind of give you a sneak preview on those. So this is what we're offering in September for our small groups. We meet on Tuesday mornings and we meet on Tuesday evenings, depending on what's best for your schedule. So we are offering Gideon by Priscilla, Priscilla Schreier. Shire, I said it wrong. Priscilla Shire, say that fast 10 times. God's Perspective When Life Hurts by Darlene Kordick. We're offering a precept study in Romans. We're offering self-confrontation, freedom for mothers by Denise Glenn. And so we're gonna watch a little video. I wonder how it felt to be Gideon and the 300, hunched over campfires like this one overlooking the valley as tens of thousands of members of the enemy troop were just waiting to annihilate them. I wonder how it felt to be on the hillside that night. Take an adventure with me into the experiences of Gideon and the 300. When you do, you'll get to see, I'll get to see exactly the same thing that Gideon and his 300 learned that night, that the strength of the enemy is never a match for the strength of God. And that somehow our weaknesses become a platform on which God can demonstrate his strength to the world. This is gonna be an adventure that we won't soon forget. I'll see you soon. God's perspective when life hurts says it all. Hi, my name is Darlene Kordick, and basically we study his perspective on human suffering throughout our time together why he allows it, what he wants to do through it, and how we can learn to embrace it with joy because we understand it comes from the hand of an all-wise, all-loving, and all-sovereign God. So what we seek to do is, is to take what we know about God up here 
And we ask God to use his word to take it from our heads down into our hearts and then into our lives so that in the end, we really do learn to live out and trust these truths we know about God and what he allows and in a way that really does radically change our lives and our perspective on suffering forever. So in essence, if the Lord has his way, which I hope he does, this Bible study will teach us what it means to truly trust in him with all of our hearts rather than in our own understanding in all areas of life, but especially in those areas where life hurts the most. Inductive study takes you to the pure milk. It takes you directly to the Word of God. It gets people in the Word of God, and you can actually read it for yourself. You know, it's too easy to get into, well, I think this passage means, or well, I think this passage means, but to when you study it inductively, you see what God meant. You're taught how to interpret accurately what the passage is saying. First of all, it's going to give the individual confidence. He knows that he knows what he's talking about. He's not just sharing something that somebody's told him or giving him a track to hold out. He has learned what the scripture says. It is the easiest way for um, me to actually uh, understand the scripture. It's not reading commentaries left and right. It's not trying to get somebody else's interpretation. It's, it's the heart change that comes from learning it yourself. You're not you're not getting someone else's opinion about what the Word says. You're actually finding out what the Word says for yourself. And there's nothing more exciting than that. It teaches people how to live, how to, how to be a body, how to do the things that God commands us to do. The uh, spiritual growth helps me get excited about it. Because if I didn't see a spiritual growth from it, it wouldn't it'd be just like any other study. It develops a personal relationship. I know God, and God knows me. It's you and God. It's God speaking to you. And there is no substitute for that. You will know the word that you've been studying forwards and backwards. It just gets in you. It just helps us really get a handle on, on the word of God. It just makes you more thirsty and wants you to dig in more. And, and there's not an end to it. In every culture throughout history, Mankind has sought solutions to life's problems. Each generation offered new man-made philosophies and models, but personal and interpersonal problems continue to plague us. Even in the body of Christ, there are unhappy and broken marriages, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, fear, worry, and many other problems resulting in distress, physical illness, and immobility. The only complete source that identifies causes and provides solutions to all of life's problems is the Bible. It contains practical solutions to every problem of attitude, relationship, communication, and behavior. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus taught about how to deal with insults, unjust accusations, anger, forgiveness, reconciliation, lust, marital relationships, loving our enemies, worry, greed, hypocrisy, and other matters of living. These are the same issues we face today, 
and the answers in the Bible are still applicable and sufficient for our lives. And, as we apply God's word to our lives, we can have lasting victory in the daily problems. Hi, I'm Denise Glenn, and I want to welcome you to Freedom for Mothers. You're going to be studying with us for the next eight weeks as we unpack John 15. We're going to be digging deep into it, verse by verse, learning how Christ wants to be our life and set us free. Free as a mother from our hangups and our fears and free to love our children the way we really want to as a woman, as a mother, and as a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, if you've ever been in a mother-wise study, you know that we have three parts of each group time that we get together. We start with Bible study. So you're going to be watching DVDs of me teaching us through John 15, and I hope you'll bring your Bible to every class because we're going to look up the scripture together. Then you're going to take the uh, workbook home, and when you get home, you're going to do a little bit of homework. Hopefully it's mom size, not too long, but we want to get you into God's Word for yourself, and that's where real transformation takes place. Then when you come to your group, not only are you going to have Bible study, you're going to have a prayer time together. You'll be divided into small groups with a prayer group leader or with a mentoring mom, and she's going to help you learn how to pray in a group. Now, this may be the first time you've ever prayed in a group. No worries. Don't be afraid. It's just sentence prayers, and if you're not ready for that, you don't have to participate at the beginning. But we hope your prayer life will grow as you learn to lift up the needs of the other women in your group and learn how to pray short and simple prayers for each other. Then we're going to do mothering skills. In the mothering skills section, you're going to be having discussions about all sorts of topics because we all need to grow in our skills as a mother. I'm a grandmother now, and my tools, the, the tools in my toolkit as a mother are continuing to change, and I continue to need to learn more skill as a wife, as a woman, as a mother, and now as a grandmother. So I hope you'll have a great time in your MotherWise group as you go through Freedom for Mothers. You know, it's been 11 years since the last time we filmed this. I wrote this study 12 years ago. But so many things have happened in the world and to my personal life since then. Just think about it. We've had 9-11. And the, when the Twin Towers went down, the world changed in that moment. So there are a lot of different realities for our world. For David and I personally, our lives have radically changed in the last 12 years. Those three girls that we had in four years are now all grown, all married, and all have children of their own. In fact, we have eight grandchildren, seven granddaughters, and one darling little grandson. So with our 10 girls and one little boy, life has taken on just this joy and fun, but I'm still learning as a grandmother, as a mother-in-law, as a mom, how to be free in Christ. So we're so glad you've joined us. Have a great time as you learn to get to know the women in your group, dig deep into God's word to become the woman, the wife, the mother that you want to be as you become free in Christ. We need to pray for that little boy. He's seven girl cousins and sisters. Oh, my goodness. 
Well, you know what? I just have to tell you, ladies, that it is a blessing for me just to sit here and to look at all of the rich um, Bible studies that you guys get a choice to look at and study and go through. And I'm just so blessed to go, man, you know what? God has done such a work in our ladies' ministry as we continue to grow and become friends and to encourage each other. Our Bible studies have gotten bigger, and now we have the opportunity to offer more choices. And so we have one more choice to add to that also. It's Five Aspects of Woman by Barbara Mauser. And uh, Five Aspects explores the creative design of woman and how God equipped her perfectly for her callings. Uh, if you liked True Woman 101, you will enjoy digging into the five aspects of woman. And I took that course, I, I want to say it was 10 years ago. And there are times I'm still, I'm driving down the street, and some key point that Barbara talked about in five aspects comes to my mind. And so you will definitely be blessed if you decide to take that one. Well, I just have to say, we love our single moms here at RMC, and we have a fun event coming up for you ladies. It's Singles Mom Night Out. Here is a flyer. It is only four weeks from tonight on July 11th. So if you want to pick up more info, we are going to offer dinner, music, and dancing. There actually, it's going to be a um, country western theme, and we're going to have a caller for square dancing and line dancing. And I think you guys are gonna have so much fun. We will provide childcare and dinner for your kids. So you get dinner, uh, you get dancing, you get time out with some other women. Uh, Stephanie Henderson is gonna be joining us back for that event. And there's going to be a panel discussion for that'll be featuring women who have walked where you are walking and uh, seeing God's faithfulness. And so you must register for this free event. So stop by the table in the foyer and sign up for that. So I want to come line dance with you ladies. That sounds like so much fun. Well, God just, hold on, really spoke to my heart as I was preparing just to, to get a chance to introduce to you Stephanie. And as I was reading over her bio information, this verse came to, just came to my heart. It was 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our trouble, tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I say that to you as I introduce to you Stephanie, who comes to us from Colorado Springs. Stephanie speaks from a heart that knows God's comfort. She lost her husband suddenly, who was a pastor. She has dealt with eating disorders as, as a young high schooler. She has dealt with sexual abuse. And... Her youngest son is now a uh, survivor of cancer. So when I say to you that she can share with us comfort, you can tell that she's walked walk the road and she knows what it's like. And I'm just grateful that she's here because I know there's so many of you that maybe find yourself in a very similar situation that I just described or possibly you will next week and you don't know it yet. 
And so captivated by courage, Stephanie comes to us to speak courage and, and God's victory in our lives. She is a speaker, a counselor, and an author. Her book, Unforgettable, God's Relentless Heart for His Daughters, and she has a workbook that goes along with that. And I am so excited to hear what God is speaking to her heart to share with us tonight. But I want to tell you that she is happily remarried, and she loves to decorate. I read that. I'm like, I love her. Let's go shopping and decorate a room together. She likes to rock climb, and I will watch you from afar with that. Event planning and making fondant cakes. And I was like, I love her. I can tell she's just a, she has a wide variety of personality. And so I know that we're going to be so blessed. So please with, welcome Stephanie with a warm round of applause. Thank you. I always feel like I'm coming home when I come to Rocky Mountain Calvary. So, ladies, thank you so much. And I do rock climb a little bit. Um, I am a little afraid of heights, which is counterintuitive to what I'm going to talk about tonight. But um, my husband, George, which I refer to him as my hot husband because he truly is one good-looking man. He is. He is in Australia right now, and I just read an article where a person in Australia was putting their hand in the water only to find what? A great white shark. And so what does my Indiana, Indiana Jones husband like to do when he's away? Oh, he's a diver. So I emailed him, and I said, honey, stay in the boat. Do not get out of the boat because we have an agreement. Because I've been widowed once, I will not do it again. And so if something unfortunate happens to George, I have told him that he is not allowed to die before me. And so as I'm getting bad news about him, I'm going into a closet and I'm going to take some sort of medication where I am going to meet Jesus first. That's our deal. As morbid as that may sound, it kind of works for us. It is so good to be back with you. I was trying to think, what has changed since I was with you last? And I will tell you, the highlight of my life since I've seen you last is the birth and adoption of two precious girls by the name of Dolce and Picante, which are my three-pound and four-pound Yorkie puppies. I know some of you were thinking, well, she looks good for having twins, doesn't she? <laughs> no, no, no. We have new puppies. Um, we had a, we've had a Yorkie for a long time. My, my sweet little Mo, who I've had for years and years, went to heaven very suddenly without my permission, of course. And then George thought, well, you know, the only way to replace Mo is to double it. And so now I have two dogs, which, by the way, are quite fashionable. They have a little laundry room closet with their dresses. And as I mentioned to my father today on Father's Day, I said, Dad, the puppies are going to wear special dresses for you on Father's Day, just FYI. Our children think we've lost our minds, but this is what happens when you're an empty nester. 
It's really true. You can have time to play with dogs and dress them up like they're humans. And it's okay, and I'm okay with it. And if you judge me, guess what? I'm 52, I don't care. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yes. My mother told me that when I turned 50, there's a wonderful thing that happened. She said, Stephanie, you stop caring so much what people think about you. And you know what? As always, my mother was right. And she's now 75, and she cares even less. She is amazing, amazing. It is so good to be with you here tonight. I, um, one other bit of news, my son James, which I've been here when he's been sick. I've been here when he's come through bone marrow transplant number two. I will tell you this, that in exactly two months, 17 or 18 days, and I don't know how many hours, in Conroe, Texas, he is going to marry the love of his life. Isn't that amazing? I'm having a daughter. I get another daughter. I have a, my oldest daughter, Jessica. I have a son, John Mark, and the baby is James. And on his anniversary date of learning two years in a row that he was diagnosed with cancer on the same day, he decided to take what the enemy meant for evil and turned it into good, and we congregated into Conroe, Texas, where he surprised my soon-to-be daughter-in-law with an engagement ring and took it back. I love that. I love that. Let's pray as we begin God's Word. I have so, I'm so excited to share this message with you tonight. Father, we welcome your presence. We thank you that you have met us here already. Thank you for the sweet worship tonight, God. Thank you, Father, that as your daughters, we can come into your presence with confidence, knowing that you who have begun a good work in us is faithful to complete that work. Father, you do the work. We get to watch and stand and participate in what an honor it is to be in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was praying for you and praying for what we were going to discuss tonight, the thought of courage kept resonating through my mind. And so tonight we're going to talk about Esther a little bit. Now I say a little bit. All of you precept Bible study teachers, raise your hands. We are not doing precept tonight. I love precept. I love Bible studies. I love in-depth Bible studies. But there's no way that we could do an in-depth overview of Esther unless we were willing to stay here all night and all day tomorrow and Sunday and Sunday night. Because there is so much in this text and there is so much that the book of Esther has to say. However, we're going to look at a part of it that I think is really going to speak to our hearts on the topic of being captivated by courage. Now, let me just take a poll before we begin tonight. Who feels courageous in the house tonight? Okay. All right, girls. Now, there was like, what, 10? Courageous women. I love that. You're going to encourage us to be courageous tonight. We're going to read a lot of scripture, so I want you, if you've got your Bible, or we're going to have the scripture on the screens, we're going to read it fast and furious, but we're going to glean a lot from it, so I want you to be ready. And so, I think, guys, I'm going to look at the screen back here because 
my eyes are old. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Yeah, I can't see that back there. Okay, here we go. Esther chapter 2. Now, let me give you a background real quick. Esther is a fabulous woman. We're about to learn all about her. Here's the background of the scripture we're about to read. King Xerxes fired the previous queen. She disrespected the king, and she was asked to leave and never come back, basically. Her name was Queen Vashti. Go back and read chapter 1. It's really a very cool story. She was dismissed as queen because she disrespected the king. Here's a rule. Never disrespect the king, or you will lose your crown. So here we are in Esther chapter 2, starting at verse 5. It says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she, was neither, she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter, and when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought into the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken into the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had, for, had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's tur turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete, now listen to this, 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for women, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to care to the care of Shazgad, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless, and this is important for later, he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. Okay, so here is the story. So here is Esther, who was an orphan, who was adopted by Mordecai. Mordecai loved her, and the king sent out an edict saying, we are having, as such, American Idol search for the next great queen of the kingdom of Xerxes. And so all the women in the surrounding cities came through, and here they were to be selected for American Idol. So imagine, since if you watch American Idol, all the people with the little tags on that have numbers, and they're so excited, and they're singing in the parking lot. This is the, what it looked like. 
So out of all of these women, here is Esther, who was an orphan, who was adopted, whose name changed, is in the midst of all of the American Idol contestants to become the next queen of King Xerxes' kingdom. Now, what I love about this story is it says her adopted father, Mordecai, every day went to the city gate to check on her and see how she was doing. I love, isn't that, doesn't that give us the father's heart? Every day. Now, she didn't know. She's inside. She's in a harem. She is suffering horribly by going to beautification treatments <laughs> for 12 months. Can you imagine? Let's just take a little side note. For one year, dear George Henderson, my hot hubby, I hate to inform you, but for the next 12 months, I will be in seclusion having manicures, pedicures, facials, massages, maybe some fashion shows, maybe some new shoes. I will be, can you imagine, one year's time. But why was that important? Because the woman who was going to be the next American Idol, the next queen of the king of, Xer of Xerxes' kingdom, had to be prepared. She had to know how to behave. She had to know how to look. She had to know how to dress. She had to know how to deal with all of the kingdom dealings that princesses and queens have to deal with. It is a tough life. So here is Esther in this training. Now, I'm going to give you a paraphrase of what happens next, but I really want to encourage you to read it for yourself. So Mordecai, who was in the city every day, as the word of God says, to check on Esther, his sweet adopted daughter, one day is in the city, and he overhears two of the king's officers talking about their plan to assassinate King Xerxes. So Mordecai, being a man, a godly man, a man of integrity, sends word back to Esther, who is in the harem, and says, hey, Esther, someone is planning to kill King Xerxes. Esther brings the word to the king. She gives Mordecai the credit. However, somehow in the translation, King Xerxes gives someone else, Haman, enter evil Haman, dun, dun, dun. He gets the credit. The king has the two people who were planning to kill him. To kill him, He has them impaled on poles in front of him. Now, I have to tell you that the justice part of me kind of likes that plan. Wouldn't it be great if your enemy, I know you have somebody in your mind right now, do not lie in the house of the Lord. <laughs> if my enemies, I could just say, you know what? I think you're going to hang on a little pole right in front of me, and I am going to watch. Isn't that, doesn't that feel the flesh, feed the flesh part of us where we want to see justice with our enemies? Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, ma'am, let's get a pole right now. These men are killed, and somehow Haman, evil Haman, as I will refer to him from now on, gets the credit. So the king 
issues another edict, and he says, because of Haman's wonderful acts, and he is so courageous, and he has done this, which he has not, took the credit for someone else's well-doing, he is to be praised. And so when Haman walks through the city gates, you're to bow to Haman. So Haman becomes puffed up with pride, and he is walking through the city very puffed up with his entourage. And Mordecai refuses to bow. Now, the thing that is interesting to me, because when I first read that, I thought, well, you know, Mordecai was kind of out of bounds with that. The Hebrew word for bow was really not just lower your head in reverence, it was worship. Mordecai, being a godly man that he was and a godly Jewish man that he was, was not going to worship anyone except the true God. So as Haman is walking through with his entourage behind him, much like something on a red carpet at one of our, our Emmy Awards, Mordecai will not bow to him, and Haman's people, his entourage, notice this and send word back to Mordecai, and they said, hey, check out Mordecai. They send word back to Haman and say, hey, check out Mordecai. He's not bowing to you. Now, at this time, Haman is very puffed up with pride, and so he, an offense comes into Haman's heart, and he becomes very offended with Mordecai. And not just a little offended, that offense burns, and he decides that he wants to have Mordecai killed. And not just Mordecai, it goes even farther. The offense grows, and he says, not just Mordecai do I want killed, but I want every member of the Jewish race in King Xerxes' kingdom, men, women, children, all of them annihilated. What Haman didn't know, because Mordecai told Esther to keep her nationality secret, her culture secret, Queen Esther was a Jew. And so what he was putting into place as a destructive measure against Mordecai and the whole race was also going to annihilate Queen Esther. And so here we are. Let's look at the next scripture in this. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter in. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. Notice what she does next. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but when he would not accept them, then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. 
He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said, and then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Let's look back at this. I want us to think about several things. When we think about courage, Esther was situated in a place, in a circumstance that was requiring tremendous courage. I love what she said, her response, when she learned that Mordecai was in the city and he was covered in sackcloth and ashes and he was wailing loudly. What did she say? What did she do? She said, I'm going to send you clothes to cover that up, Dad. Like, seriously, why are you wailing and dressed in sackcloth and ashes in front of everyone? Everyone knows you're my father. So isn't it interesting, the first response from Esther is to cover it. So many times when we are called to places of courage, or we are called to a place where we've got to have courage, where we've got to be, be fearless, or we've got to speak truth in a situation that may be uncomfortable for us, isn't it true, our first response, is just say, yeah, let's just pretend like that's not happening here. I'm going to just put my head in the sand, and I'm going to pretend that this is not really going on. Dad is fine. He's just having a little emotional day. I'm going to send him a nice, cheerful robe, and that's going to make him feel so much better. Isn't it true? I don't know about you, but in my home, in my personality, I really want the people in my life to always be happy. I don't like conflict. Now, I've learned to deal with conflict, but I am pretty much kind of a Pollyanna kind of person. I like everybody happy. I like the birds singing. I like fresh things being baked in the oven. I like the flowers growing perfectly. I like little fruit on the vine. I, I like my world in order. Do you understand? It messes me up. 
if there is conflict that comes into my life. I don't want to deal with it. I'd rather be nice. Like, don't make me have to speak truth to you. Having adult children, it's very interesting. You know, it's not the same as when they were little and I could put them in time out or I could shove them in their room and close the door. When they're older, I understand that maybe they don't want my wisdom as much as they did when they were little. And so what I've learned in my time since I have a 30 28 and 20, almost 25-year-old children now, is that when I want to give them a piece of advice that they have not asked for, I will call them and say, I'm about to give you unsolicited wisdom. <laughs> you may either hang up the phone now, or you may listen, or you may mute me. I don't really care, but I'm going to feel better if I can share my unsolicited wisdom with you. I don't like conflict. We have a blended family. George does not have any biological children of his own. However, my children a few years ago on Father's Day presented George with adoption papers and said, would you please adopt us? And I looked at him and I said, they're all yours now. They are no longer my children. They are your children. Congratulations. You have won a big, big booby prize there, mister. <laughs> we have a blended family. Blended families are no different than regular families, except we've got different personalities, and we don't have the history. And it's hard to have a blended family. And so when we were a new blended family... And people, we would all come over. I'm very festive. I like to decorate. I like for everything to be just perfectly chirpy. And then my children show up and they have an attitude. And I have a new husband that wants to take them and put his hands around their little necks. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this doesn't look nice for my perfect blended family. We cannot be choking each other in my perfect luncheons, decorated in little napkin rings filled with flowers and happiness. But you know what I learned? To have a healthy blended family or to have a healthy family, you've got to have conflict. Now, as much as I love my hot hubby, which I do, there is sometimes he just really gets on my nerves. And he might do things that I don't really appreciate. Now, I wish I could tell you that I am Pollyanna all the time, and I embedded Crocker with the little pearls and a little um, apron and my high heel shoes as I'm preparing breakfast. This is not the case in the Henderson Casa. But sometimes, in order to have depth in your relationships, you must have conflict. And to have conflict and to have healthy conflict, you must be willing to speak the truth. You see, the passive-aggressive doesn't serve anyone. We've got to be women who are willing to speak the truth and instead of take a mess and want to throw a pretty tablecloth on it and call it holiday, we've got to be able to look at it and say, you know what, this is messy right now and my life stinks right this second. But we're not going to stay there, see, because what are we going to do? We are going to speak truth. And so... 
Mordecai politely sends back Esther's package of his clothing that she wants him to put in. He's saying, I am in sackcloth and ashes for a reason, little girl. You better be in sackcloth and ashes as well. Point number two in this I want us to think about is the response that Mordecai gives to Esther. And he says, do not think that because you, young lady, and I'm adding that, are in the king's palace, that you will be safe when this annihilation of all of the Jewish race comes. I love that he spoke truth. Do you know you cannot be delivered from a lie? We must speak the truth, ladies. Do not think that you will be saved. But here's what I love in part B of that. And he said, but if you don't speak truth, Esther, our deliverance will come. It will come from somewhere else. Do you know what that says to me? Is that when God has a purpose and plan set forth in our lives, there is nothing that can stop the plans and the purposes of the Lord. Do you know that? Nothing. And here was Esther to be used as an instrument of the Lord. God had divinely placed her in a place of influence. And she was backing up saying, but you don't realize what the cost of that is. She was placed with a purpose. But here's the thing. When we don't get it right, and we don't obey, and we don't follow God's plan, he will use someone else to carry out his plan. Because his plan will come forth. We are the ones who lose the blessing of being used by God. It's not like God is sitting in heaven going, now what am I going to do now? If Stephanie doesn't come through, what are we going to do? You know, God is not an idiot. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. If he can plan the universe and the stars and the water and the fish and all the Miller moths, why, Jesus, did he create those, by the way? Why? I think they should have been left off the ark, really. We don't need Miller Moss two by two. They could have drowned as far as I'm, okay, that's my platform for tonight. But he has a plan and purpose, and he is God of the universe, and his desire is to use you, use me. Use Esther to carry out his plan and purpose. However, if we don't, no worries. Because his truth will march on. Amen? Amen. And so here was Esther. Her response, Dad, I just would like to remind you, because I know you love me, that if I dare go into the king without being summoned, the penalty is death. Do you think Esther was intimidated? Do you think she was filled with fear? 
But I love what she says next. And this is a point for us as well, ladies. Call together everyone to fast and pray. Here's what I want to say to that. You know what? When God is speaking something into your life and he is calling you into an arena that requires supernatural courage, you better get people around you. So many times we are so comfortable living this life isolated. You know, I love social media. I really do. I'm like the Facebook queen. I do love a little social media. I love Twitter. I love all of it. You know the problem with it, though, is that we have become so comfortable as a culture living isolated and only having cyber friends that we have and cyber relationships. But I'm telling you what, when I am in the trench and I'm needing God-sized courage for something. I want my sisters and my brothers around me, not the ones who don't know how to pray. I want the ones who know how to pray. Who know how to pray. That can pray me through it. That have faith. And you know something, ladies? I realize that sometimes prayer can be a little intimidating. Well, I don't really know how to pray. Okay, that's easy. All you have to do is surround yourself with women who know how to pray. You learn real quick. All you have to do is read the word of God. Do you know a lot of my prayer is the word of God back to him? You know why? Because his word is alive. It is active. It has power. It's not just pages with little words written on it that are supposed to make us feel better. No, no, no. It is an active live source and we need to know how to use it you don't know how to just start you know the holy spirit is an incredible thing he is the revealer of all truth the word says if you lack wisdom ask for it lord i don't know how to pray okay you're in school put yourself in the seat to teach you how to pray look up scriptures where david prays Look up scriptures where the apostles pray. Study what Jesus prayed. But pray. It is our power. And having people around us who are sincerely praying. And ladies, let me call something out right now. How many times, and let's just be honest, because we're girls and girlfriends. How many times do we say, oh, I'm going to pray for you? And you know you're not going to pray for that person. You have no, you're not even thinking about it ever again. Or you see somebody, and maybe your heart is quickened because it's like, oh, and you're like, oh, I've been praying for you. <gasps> what if, like, we were like Pinocchio and our nose grew every time we did one of those Christian lies, biblical lies, biblical Pinocchio nose? What would happen? We would stop, we'd stop lying. But seriously, if you're going to pray, then pray. But mean it. It is your source of power. And if you're not engaging in the word of God and in prayer, and I'm not talking about a legalistic relationship, I'm talking about a true father-daughter relationship. When you pray, your life will change through prayer. When our son was going through bone marrow transplant, which I a lot of people don't know. It's just a weird science, wonderful science. 
for cancer patients, and there would be moments that he would get a fever or he would have a complication that was bringing fear. And I would get on my little iPhone and I would send text messages to 15 of my strongest prayer warriors. I'm like, we need prayer now. Stop what you're doing. And I am telling you without a shadow of a doubt that each and every time that we called for prayer for him, within 15 to 20 minutes, whatever it was, was no more. Do you realize that the enemy who wants to destroy your life wants to distract you and cause you to doubt God and cause you not to pray or believe God? It's not, he doesn't just show up on Halloween in a little red suit. He is active also to destroy you and me. And here was Esther put in a precarious situation, ordained by God to be the voice that God was trusting her to be, and she called for prayer. But here's the other part that I love. She said, but if I perish, I perish. She knew that what she was going to do as an act of obedience could have cost her her life. When was the last time there was something in your life that you were willing to die for? When was the last time you were so passionate to see something come forth that you would have put your life on the line to see it happen? Because I think when we read the word of God and we read this, and we just kind of skim over it, and if I perish, I perish. No, let me tell you something, ladies. She was considering her death. Esther was not any different than you and I. She was considering the consequence of her behavior. But when was the last time we really were so passionate you know, I think for the most part, I think that we're passionate about things, let's be honest, if it doesn't mess up our schedule. You know, God, I'll be passionate for you. I'll go to prayer time, but really, why do they have to schedule it at 5 o'clock in the morning? I mean, certainly Jesus is not awake at 5 in the morning. He is sleeping in. We're having coffee. We're not, we're not, man, don't mess up my schedule. We are bringing a conference that I taught last year, and the book that I'm writing currently that's called Her Heart is Torn, which is a book on loss and a conference on loss. We are bringing that conference to Costa Rica in a month. I have my Spanish phrase book out. Now, I love Spanish. I really, I have like an inner Spanish woman inside of me. But it's out of my comfort zone. I'm going to a place where the women do not speak English have a much different life than I do, and I'm thinking, God, how in the world am I going to take your message in this way and share this with people that I don't have that much in common with? But here's the common thing. Pain is pain. It knows no language. It knows no cultural difference. We all go through it. 
one of the beautiful things about going through some of the things that I have experienced in my life, which is a gift, by the way, is that I realize this life means nothing compared to what life is ahead of us. So what if it's hard? I heard Joyce Myers not long ago say, we are anointed for hard. And I thought, I am writing that down. We are anointed for hard. Yes, we are. But what are we willing to die for? Are we willing to die for anything? What are we passionate for? What keeps us from embracing courage in our life and being fierce, courageous women who don't even think about what other people think. Do you know when we stand before the Father, when we are in heaven, we are going to stand there by ourselves. Our people are not with us. There's no entourage following us. The people that we care so deeply what they think about us, they're not going to be anywhere. It's going to be you and Jesus. And when I stand before him, I don't know about you, but I want to hear well done. Stephanie, you were courageous. Stephanie, you were bold. Stephanie, you taught my word. Stephanie, I don't want to hear, well, you know, Steph, gee, why didn't you trust me? What keeps us from really being courageous? When we think about that, and as I was praying about this, the opposite of courage is fear. Correct? Courage the opposite of fear. Now, it's natural to fear things. Like when I'm rock climbing with my hot husband, and he thinks that I like being on top of mountains because I can see a view. You know, I can buy a postcard with that information on it. I don't really need to see it. And he likes to walk all the way to the little tiny, tiny points of the mountain, and I am just backing up. I'm thinking, well, if I back up more, I'm going to balance the mountain, and he's not going to fall off and plummet to his death. Fear is something that we have inside of us that keeps us from danger. That's why we have fear. We have healthy fear. That's why we know not to go into the ocean when the waves are crashing. That is a healthy, good fear. But let's talk about the other fear that keeps us paralyzed, that keeps us from being courageous, that keeps us from having passion. Can we just be alive? Can we just pretend like we care? Fear. You know, I was thinking about that in response to courage, when we have fear in our life, what is it really? Fear is a crack in our foundation where we do not trust God. I'm going to say that again. Fear is a crack in our foundation where we do not trust God. What does that look like? I'll share a personal story with you. When George and I, my hot hubby, were engaged to be married, and I knew it occurred to me that I was going to be married once again. Now, 
I realize that should have been obvious, but I am blonde and I own it. But it just kind of dawned on me, the whole being married again and what that looks like. And this is like forever. And I will tell you that I went through a time where I really, really wrestled with fear. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I will go through with this if you can promise me that George is not going to die before me, which is why we have the joke about me killing myself in a closet somewhere, which I don't recommend. Um, But there was a basis of fear. And inside of me, it's like I wanted to be happy. I wanted to move forward in my life. I wanted to embrace everything that God had for me. But there was a crack in my foundation that God revealed, and I was afraid. And I said to the Lord, I said, God, I am petrified to do this again. I mean, really, when I think about it, can't we just date for like the rest of our lives? I'm happy. I like being single. We don't really have to get married. We can just go to dinner, and it's just really wonderful. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, Stephanie, you don't trust me. And I thought, you're right. God, I don't. You see, what God was revealing during that moment is that there was something cracked in my foundation of my trusting God that he needed to expose so that I could move forward in my life and be courageous. And that may not seem like a very courageous step for you, but for me, it was a big step. You see, when God exposes the crack in our foundation, it's not to condemn us or beat us up or tell us how horrible we are. It's because he sees that something is lacking. And he wants us. The desire of God's heart is for us to be whole, healthy, courageous, bold women. But when we've got all these little cracks in our foundation, either from other people's behavior or from lies that we've believed from the enemy or from our own garbage that has not been reconciled, we will never step forward and be courageous, bold women that God has called us to be. Fear. I want us to think about a scripture in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. I'm going to say that again. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and a sound mind. And we quote it and we quote it and we quote it and we put it on little magnets and we stick it on our refrigerator and we put little bumper stickers on our car, but do we live it and do we walk it? When I was thinking about this and the crack in our foundation with fear and the scripture came to me, I thought there's three places that fear comes that keeps us from being courageous women of God and the one is for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of what? Of love. When there is a crack in our foundation where we believe or have not believed that God truly loves us and is for us, it will bring a big crack in our foundation and it will cause us to fear whether or not God is going to come through for us or not. 
Isn't that true? God, where were you when X, Y, Z happened? It may be because we don't understand the the way God operates, like the word says, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. We get stuck and our foundation becomes cracked. And we say, I'm not sure 100% that you truly love me like your word says. That crack has got to be sealed with truth. You see, because regardless of what happens in this life, the thing that we have got to remain focused on and faithful to is the truth in the word of God. And so you take that crack and you start studying scripture that teach on the love of God for what can separate us from the love of God. And you begin to fill that crack with truth and before you know it, that crack is sealed. Love and power. And what does power look in our life? Is that not our anointing? Our calling. You see, our testimony is our power. The word of God says that they overcame him, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. Girls, you've got a story. Well, nobody really wants to hear my story. How do you know? How do you know? Well, my life, you know, it's really not what it should be. And, you know, I think sometimes as Christian women, we think that unless we've got everything together, every hurt healed, every single rose petal in our life has got a line that God can't use us. Do you know that is a lie from the pit of hell? When I began this ministry full time, it was 12 months after my Husband John was in heaven. Now, how healed do you think I was? I was still grieving. How healed? If we have to wait until we are perfect and we have all of our things in our opinion, and please take that in, if in our opinion we are right, then God will use us. Let me tell you something, the enemy will use that tool in your life and you will never do what God has called you to do. Never. You will never be good enough. Believe me, the accuser of the brethren will remind you day and night of something that you did 15 years ago to disqualify you. Let me say this. There is nothing good that Stephanie Henderson can do to qualify me to do anything for God. Do you understand that? Even on my best day, even on my best day, it's all him. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's not about my goodness. It's not about my righteousness. The word of God says my righteousness is as filthy rags. It is about him. And it's about being able to take one step forward and say, God, I'm your girl. And maybe we feel unworthy. Then we have to study God's word. And we have to press into that. And we have to pray into that lie and fill it with truth and seal that crack and our foundation, love, power. Let's talk about having a sound mind. Ladies, we must be healthy. We must be healthy. 
it is imperative that we, as the body of Christ, are healthy, mind, body, spirit. We've all been through dysfunction. Let me say, welcome to the club. I've sat on a counselor's couch. I am proud of that. It takes a lot of courage to admit that you need help. I needed help. I was a hot mess. Do you understand? A hot mess. In the South, that's not just a mess. That's a bad mess. I sat on a counselor's couch while he helped unravel all of the things that had been bound up inside of me. And I will tell you this, that when I finished that process, I had peace in my life. What you're seeing today is a result of a lot of hard work to be healthy, making choices that are healthy, and taking some people who were unhealthy and toxic people and putting them on the outside of my life. We cannot operate in peace and anointing and purpose when we have got constant crazy. And if you are constant, cuckoo, drama, let me help you. Go sit on a couch. Best money, you, there's no shame. We've all got stuff. Go deal with it. Because you know what? Every day that you don't is one more day that you are held back and that crack in your foundation of your sound mind gets deeper and deeper and the enemy has got you covered because he loves to accuse us and he loves to take the weaknesses that we perceive that we have or that we truly have and constantly throw it in our face to paralyze us from being courageous, bold women that God has called us to be. Go sit on the couch. There's no shame in that. Surround yourself with healthy people. Set boundaries around people who are not healthy. And let me talk to the young ladies in the audience. I'm so happy to see young ladies here. Girls, listen to me. You become what you surround yourself with. You become what you surround yourself with. You must be careful in how you choose friends and how you choose influences and what you choose to participate in. See, I meet women who are my age, like ancient, right? <laughs> and they have so much regret. Do you know why? Because of something that they chose to do when they were 14 or 15 years old. And years down the road, they are still feeling the result of that bad choice. Don't do it. Your mom is right. She really is. Amen. Uh, ladies, y'all are quiet on that one. Your mom is right. I just, like, helped you there. I just, I gave you one. You can play back the video and go, Stephanie said, I am right. <laughs> Make wise choices. Make wise choices. Don't do things that are destructive in your heart, in life. And I'm going to talk to the single women for a minute. See, I've been single woman. I've been a, I was an old single woman, though. I wasn't like a cool single woman. Ladies, let me speak to you on this. Do not invite boyfriends into your home. Do not date someone different every month. 
Do not try to fill a need inside of your life with a man. It only makes you feel worse. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And I promise you, the right man, in the right place, in the right time, if that is God's will for you, will appear. He might not be riding a white horse, but he will be everything that you've dreamed and imagined. Do not settle for less than God's best. Fill that crack with him. Fill that crack with truth. So what happens when we take that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind, and we take all the cracks as we know of in our foundation, and we begin to fill them with truth. Do you know what happens, ladies? We become an impenetrable woman against the enemy and things that he tries to speak lies to us. We become bold, fierce, and courageous. But it comes at a cost. What are you willing to die for? Is it worth it? You see, the enemy can only put thoughts into our mind. When we've got cracks in our foundation, that's when we let it seep in and we accept it. Fill that up. And so here was Esther saying, and if I perish, I perish. And here's the end of the story. Esther put on her regal robe. She presented herself before the king. She reached out her hand, and he extended the scepter to her. She was accepted. You see, there's never a time in your life when you go to God and you go to the king of kings that he will not accept you. Every time you reach out your hand in faith, I promise you, God will meet you. He may not meet you like you think, but he will meet you because he is faithful. And Esther, through her act of courage, saved the Jewish nation. What is it that God has spoken in your heart and life? What is it that God area has God placed you in to be a courageous, bold woman of God? You know what? For some of us, it may be just simply having the courage and overcoming a horrendous depression to put your feet on the floor and make your life work. For others, it may be having to trust God through a test, a medical test that you are waiting for results on and you have to trust God. For some, it may be a new opportunity that you're afraid of and you're having to trust God. Whatever it is, identify the cracks in your foundation that are keeping you from trusting God. And I want to challenge you and encourage you women to step out boldly and allow him to use you in a powerful way way you see your life matters. You are the vessel 
by which God wants to operate. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want God to have an assignment for me and have to give it to someone else because I wasn't willing. I want to be his girl. When our son James was going through treatment for cancer, the fourth year, I finally said to the Lord, I said, God, whatever you ask me to do, I want you to know from this point on in my life, I will say yes. I will say, no matter what, no matter what it is. Now, it has to be from God. And I will tell you that there's not been one thing that the Lord has asked me to do that I have not said yes. Now, it didn't mean that I was enthusiastic about saying yes. And it doesn't mean that I didn't want to go, you know, put on a cloak and hide from it or, you know, but just say yes. There is such freedom in being courageous and bold. It's so much easier than being filled with fear. Filled with fear takes a lot of work. You lose sleep. You get bags under your eyes. It's like a bad thing. Don't be fearful. Trust God. I realize as I'm sharing this tonight that a lot of you are going through some interesting situations. As you think about the situation that you are facing right now today, June 13th, 2014, what cracks are in your foundation where you're afraid to trust God? As the Holy Spirit was revealing to you while we were together tonight, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? You see, God has an incredible plan for you. It is so amazing. Esther had no idea what was on the other side of her reaching out her hand to the scepter and having the king accept her. She had no idea. But God knew all along. God has a plan for your life. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the musicians to come and our, our women's ministry leaders to come for a time of ministry. And just as we close our eyes, I want you to just take a moment and I want you to really reflect on a few things. The first thing I want you to think about, just as we're having a, a moment together, what is God speaking to you right now? Are there places of fear in your heart that you need the truth and the word of God to come into? Ladies, we all have them. There's no shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But let's just be authentic before him tonight. Where do you need confidence? Where do you need God's truth to come in and speak? Where's your passion? Maybe you forgot it. Maybe you thought you're not qualified. What are you passionate for? Maybe if you're not passionate for anything, God needs to revive that in you once again. Maybe it's a dream that you thought, oh, never mind. God's never going to bring that up. I might as well just forget about that. 
I want to encourage you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to those places in your heart where God desires to resurrect and bring back to life a dream or a vision or a passion that you've had. Maybe you struggle with fear. There's a root to that. Maybe you just need prayer and you just need ministry and you're like, I am just going through such a difficult time. I just need some women to pray and to come around me. If that's you, I want you to just come and I want you to let the ladies who are here minister to you. And maybe you are a woman sitting in the audience tonight and you think, I don't even know that I know God. I'm not sure that I even know him. Well, I have good news for you. God has made knowing him so easy to see because he did all the work on the cross through his resurrection. And his word says that all we have to do in order to have relationship with him is to simply ask. And so if that's you tonight and you're not sure of your relationship with God, but you want to solidify that tonight, I invite you to pray with me. I'm going to pray a prayer to help you ask God to come into your heart and you just repeat that with me. Dear Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your power to wipe away every sin I have ever committed away. Father, thank you for allowing me to become your daughter by simply asking you. Forgive me where I have sinned and become the boss and the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Ladies, I want to invite you to stand while we have a time of worship. I want to invite you to come. Take this time that God has set aside in your heart and in your life tonight and come and let these ladies pray for you and share that burden with them. Don't be ashamed. We're girlfriends. We're sisters. This is what we do in a family. So I want to invite you to come.